welcome to episode five of Nests A Little Night Podcast. Now, to introduce our guests today, we've got three very special friends and special members of Nest. Uh, first of all, we've got our technical manager and all-around entertainer, it's Scarborough's finest, Callum James Dunwell. Hello. Hello, Callum. Hope you've been performing at Grand Hotel recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, secondly, we've got our assistant company manager, um, and the quiz master, but I'm not holding a grudge. Um, it's David Parker. Hello, David. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? You're good. I'm. Do you know what? I was all right before this press record. So. <laughs> <laughs> and our final guest, our surprise last minute guest, but he's going to bring the banter. It's our northeast's very own Adam Donaldson. Hello. Hello, Adam <laughs> You okay? I'm good, I'm really Great. good. Uh, it's nice to be back on this amazing episode. I, I'm happy to have you back. Um, so uh, this episode this week is called Hypotheticals. And what we're going to do is uh, present some hypothetical situations. <laughs> I can't say that word anymore. Uh, we're going to put some hypothetical situations about four different shows, uh, Sondheim shows, I'm just going to have a bit of a chat and see what would happen if these things in the plot changed and how the story would change. Um, it's all lighthearted. It's all a bit of fun. Obviously, the original work is still existing and we're not writing a new show. So there's no plagiarism here. Sorry, Sondheim. We'll leave it to the master. Um, so if everyone's ready, should we kick off with show number one? Let's go. Right. So uh, for my guests, the uh, scenario I want to present to you is this. The Baker and Rapunzel meet in the woods and specifically before the items have been found by the baker and the baker's wife now remember the baker and rapunzel are actually brother and sister spoiler alert um i should have said that before shouldn't i um so what would happen if they met before what's what's the knock-on effect because they never actually meet in the show hmm. who hmm. wants to kick us off adam well um does am i right in thinking in the opening song does the witch, like, say that she lives in a tower where she would never be found. Or is that the narrator who says it? Um, I can't remember. Probably the narrator. I, I, oh, yeah, probably. I don't think not. the witch would say where she lives. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Um, I just feel like... I think, didn't like the witch a... say, I hid away, she'll never be reached? Oh, yeah. Yes, I she does. She yes, yes, that's yeah, right. If there's, if there's any character in that show that doesn't want to give away their address, it's the witch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but... I feel like it would just be like uh, maybe Rapunzel after after stay with me maybe she's yeah. running through the woods. It's sort of got envisaged. She's running through the woods. The baker's there, like looking around for whatever he needs <laughs> at that point. And then season is like, "Oh, you're all right. Is everything okay? No, this horrible witch has been keeping us up there." And oh my god, are you? You know the witch? Yes, I know the witch. <laughs> this is a horrible She's my mum. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, well, you're my... I'm sure you're my sister. <laughs> I better not fancy you anymore. <laughs> 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 Something like that. All right, so they've met in the woods. They've realised yeah. the brother and sister. What's, what's Rapunzel said about the witch? What's going to happen? Callum, do you want to take over on this point? <laughs> I'm, sli- I'm slightly perplexed that you've been mimicking my accent for the past 45 minutes and your childish jokes have <laughs> bled into this podcast <laughs> i can't help it you know what I'm i speaking... can't first of all i can't imagine rapunzel going 
Hello. Just don't bother me chuckling. To me to you. To me to you, Baker. They're having a tug of war for the hair. To me to you. To me to you. I've forgotten the question, to be All honest. Right, I'll just pose it to the group. So, um, basically, the, so Rapunzel has now met the baker. They said hello. They've realised they're related. What's going to happen? What's she going to say about the witch? Is she going to warn the baker? Or is she going to be like, actually, she's all right if you get to know her? Or what do you think? <clears throat> so is this? So he knows that he needs, he's, he's been given the task by the witch. So he yeah. knows so the, what so he's the baker, after. Yeah. So he will see her golden hair. Yeah, that's one of the things. So he will be like, "Ooh, I need that." So he'll be thinking that he needs to get her talking. All right. So he'll just get the trimmers out and be like, "Hey, over here." See, here's from Scarborough. You'll <laughs> <laughs> go all Sweeney Todd. Come here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I see that. I see that. He'll, I think that she'd be like, "Get off my hair!" I'm, and then like say, "The witch I'm is sister. like, I'm a sister," and say like, "The witch is trapped her." Blah 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 blah. So I don't think. I think the baker would then not trust the witch to fulfill her promise. I think he would be like, right, well, she's obviously a bit sinister, and I didn't know this about her. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I reckon they'll be like, uh, I mean, I'm just, I kind of am joking, but it's it's the only way that I can get this into a, a son named thing. But I reckon there's like an argument over the witch. Like, Rapunzel's like, yeah, she's, she's not very nice, but if you get in the house, she's just lovely. And then, obviously, the baker's realising this. And like Darth Vader, he goes, Rapunzel, I am your brother. And she's like, no, it's impossible. impossible. And then, no, but I'd go, maybe it'd be like Team Siblings and Team Witch from Mm. then on. Yeah, I can see that. Entirely, yeah. I think it becomes more of a family affair. Like yeah. it's nice that they've met now, which we don't get in the actual show. So they could really like strengthen that bond, and then take on the witch using the power of the power of love <laughs> <laughs> and family, and all that, all those Christmas things that we have. Um, cool. Well, that sounds like a good outcome. <laughs> We're happy to move on to our second hypothetical. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, uh, so now we're going to make it um, a journey into a darker show. And we're going to go into the journey of Sweeney Todd. And this time, we're going to take uh, the scenario that the judge recognizes Sweeney as Benjamin Barker earlier in the show. So not right at the end. And we won't give away the ending because we're doing it hopefully soon. So <laughs> we want the audience to come and see us. Um, but so yeah, the judge is going to kill Sweeney Todd probably at the end of act one or just you know uh, the first time that he goes for a shave he's going to recognize him the first time not the second time okay how does that have an effect how does it influence anthony and joanna sweeney's gone judges now realize that um that he was benjamin barker mm. well the beggar the beggar woman wouldn't die at the end would she no because and uh, she's already recognized him hasn't she she recognized him right at the start straight away yeah I feel like to go even more crazy, like if she found out, because obviously yeah. the judge has put all that turmoil onto her, mm-hmm. and now the only person, like the person who she loved, Benjamin Barter, so sweet Todd, has now also been killed. So I feel like obviously everyone, right at the start of the show, thinks like this woman is crazy. I feel yeah. like it would just be like even more like deranged 
crazy mm. in the mind. So would he? <clears throat> would he perhaps want to make him suffer before he died, before he killed him in in, in some way? So would he know that Lucy is still alive, and would oh. he want? It, would he identify that as a bit of a you know? To does there's, he know? There's a, there's a plot. Does the judge know Lucy's alive? Because mm. I think from what I read, I might be wrong, but I think what I read is that she like attempted the suicide, but the, the thing she drank made her go mad. So he might have thought she's dead. Mm. He might, I don't know, he might not. But she didn't commit suicide, so she went mental instead. I don't know. Well, well do you know what? Let's, it's hypothetical. Let's say that he did know that she was alive. Carry on. Yeah, and point. he kind of like, well, he kind of like, um, you know, didn't kill her, but yeah. got rid of her. Like, he, he doesn't seem to do his own murdering, does our judge, does he? No. <laughs> he gets other people to do it. Maybe there was, maybe he did want her taken care of. Or it depends how he was... kills Sweeney, really. Because if mm. it's like a slow death, you know, maybe you'd bring Lucy in and do the big reveal and be like, ah, that's your wife. Oh, And then he's like, ah, and then he just dies. <laughs> that's the last thing he sees. He's like, oh, no, she's alive. Yeah. All right. What about think, um, for Joanna then? So she's re- like, she'll now know because obviously they'll give back to her that her fake dad has killed her actual dad that she never had. Yeah, he brings her in as well. It's like Wheel of Fortune. They're just bringing relatives around <laughs> when he's on his uh, on his deathbed. Uh huh. Well, then perhaps it turns into uh, the Joanna show. Yeah. You uh-huh. know, maybe maybe like, that's your act too, right there. You know, we know that she has it in her to kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so, an episode of Bullseye. It's like the judge is Jim Bowen. Let's see what you could have won. And then you bring all the <laughs> Wow. Um, all right. So Joanna's going to go on the rampage then, yeah? And I think that's a fairly, fairly solid uh, idea for an act two, you know, especially what, in this climate. Or, oh, no, no, your, your, your suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, it could even turn into the Harry Hill show, you know, who'd win between Joanna and Judge Turpin. There's only one way to find out. What about Anthony? What's Anthony going to do? He's realised that the person who's brought him across the ocean, well, he's brought him across, but the person he's travelled across the ocean with is now dead because of the judge who he doesn't like anyway. Is he also filled with rage? I reckon he'd be more desperate to get away. Yeah. With Joanna. Because... With Joanna? Hmm. Because obviously, yeah, at that a... po- obviously at that point he loves that. Like he, he, he's well, it's kind of the premise of his character. He doesn't really think about much, much else, does he? Like the whole thing <laughs> is based on like he he want, loves Joanna. He wants to take yeah. her away, to start off fresh. So I feel like it would it, that would just he would just want to do that even more. He's yeah, he is he is the pacifist in this entire scenario. <laughs> so. He's, uh, he's a bit know, boring, he, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's very like much a little so. teenage, he's... like 14 year old, is like, oh, my first kiss. He's <laughs> <laughs> the, wet, the wettest character ever there was. Um, so he'd be wanting, even Literally if Joanna. Historically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Even if, this, uh, even if Joanna goes on this uh, hell bent murdering spree, uh, you know, he'll want her not to. He'll want to sort of, he'll want to run away. And, yeah. you know, maybe that causes a bit of conflict between the two of them. Ooh, yeah. She'd be like, like gagging for the fight, and he's like, "No, be safe. Come home." Like he's he's killed Sweeney, and Sweeney's already pretty bad. And that's their first lovers' tiff. Yeah, and I didn't then know where you were going to go with that, then Tim. 
<laughs> well, obviously to the plotline that I'm hypothetically <laughs> proposing to you. <laughs> and they can run away to hotel. Anyway. Alright, so just for everyone that's listening, we've got a running joke um of the Grand Hotel in Scarborough. So every time you hear anything to do with Scarborough or the Grand Hotel, that's what it is. It's just I just don't think it's fair that you've dragged it into this podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> everyone needs to know about the amazing Grand Hotel. Got I'm, not, I'm not doing it. Stop <laughs> Tell us. Tell us one fact. <laughs> Go on, Callum. <laughs> You're going to really make me explain this on this platform? I mean, do you know what? The listeners will love it. Well, yeah, because Tim and Adam came to visit me in Scarborough. We had a nice day out, and we were passing the Grand Hotel, which is on the beach. I says, have a look at that, boys. Have a look at that hotel up there. Did you know that it's got four towers for each of the seasons, 52 windows across for each week of the year, it's 12 floors... But uh, no, sorry, 12 floors for each month of the year, and it's got 365 rooms for each day of the year. And it's shaped like a V because Victoria was the reigning monarch when it was built. And for some reason, my lovely tour guide experience that I was giving my friends on their visit just seemed they've just not left it alone since. And every time I speak to them now, it's like, Would you like to go to Grand Hotel? It's more tip to be fair. <laughs> It is, Tim, because every time I ring one of you, you're like, hello. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I definitely think maybe Anthony and Johnny, you know, maybe could put it up more. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Segway back into the actual thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. I right. found that fascinating, Callum. I found that thank absolutely you, fascinating. Thank it you. is interesting, to be fair. To you, be never, really you, you never know, season three. Could have an episode in the Grand Hotel. <laughs> in one of its With famous connections. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do it in the feet of architecture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool. Right, well, let's move swiftly onwards uh, to an older show now. Uh, one of, well, this is the first show that Sondheim worked on as a lyricist. Um, and it was to impress the, the mighty Leonard Bernstein and choreographer Jerome Robbins. And this is, of course, West Side Story, um, the adaptation of the Romeo and Juliet play that we all know and um so let's uh this is the scenario i'm emitting love because some people don't like uh shakespeare so we all know it though um I so like the scenario i'd like to propose is this at the end of act one obviously there's the kerfuffle uh under the uh, the, the like the the drive the, what's it called highway overpass um and in the fight in the show itself um tony kills bernardo However, hypothetical is this. Bernardo kills Tony. Tony's dead, end of Act 1. How is that going to affect the plot? Uh, how does it affect the relationship between Maria and Bernardo, his sister? Uh, how does it affect the gang's relationships? Um, anyone want to start us? You don't I'll, get the uh, classic I'll... line. You don't the get the classic line. That's side story. Uh, it's a Cheeto, isn't it? Gina? Say again. He killed your brother! Oh, you yeah. don't get that. That's your favourite line. I don't know why. You the best line of the show. <laughs> that isn't it. It's like, that gets good. But David, I'll let you go on. Well, I, I think that the biggest implications for that is the gangs. Uh, that is just all out war because Tony was, well, Riff was the leader. So then, like, you know, uh, the second was Tony pretty much. He was getting back into it. You know, they, uh, they managed to, you know, he was uh, the main guy in the fight. So with those two gone, you it's left to action. And action is all about the action. 
he's uh you know and and you know it goes in such a direction even with tony still alive um that you get that that infamous scene in the second act uh when they're at docks um mm-hmm. with anita and so yeah. if they're willing to go that far with that uh, you know with tony still alive with some kind of pacifying force then you know it's it's just all out gang war yeah I like that. What about what about? Uh, sorry, it's not your tools, Tim. But uh, what about if it was the other way around? Say Tony like doesn't get into it, but Riff kills Bernardo. I think that would be such an interesting story. That you know, because I can't see somebody who would step into Bernardo's. I feel like that would be the Jets. Victorious. You think that all the um that the sharks of all talk, apart from Bernardo, like, they'll kind of like hide behind him a bit, really, and they're a bit like. Uh, yeah, we we kill you, but then they're actually not going to kill him because Bernardo. Well, it's like, just a, it's just a tragedy of the musical that we don't know because the only shark that was given character development was yeah, Bernardo. Was <laughs> <laughs> well, so that, that's just typical back mentality. Like you're always hiding behind the biggest guy in whatever situation you're in. But then, but no, I mean it's it's an imbalance between the sharks and the jets. The jets, you get like Baby John, you get like you, you get some sort of degree of insight. Yeah, exactly. You get insight into pretty much all of their characters. Uh, yeah. Diesel's Diesel's the brawler and all this kind of stuff, but yeah, like the sharks, you literally don't know. They've all got names. Do you think that's a knock-on effect of like it being an American musical, and so like naturally they want to? They obviously know more about the American characters. Yes, Tim. Yes, I do. <laughs> that you disagree absolutely. with me there? <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. No, it, it, it absolutely genuinely was. And I would like yeah. you know the Steven Spielberg one that's coming up. Like if there was a bit more from the jet from the sharks' point of view, that'd be that'd be great. I think that's a yeah, even so, the even the Steamer Shark song is "I Want to Be in America." So, like, what yeah. about your background? Like, <laughs> multiculturalism, guys. <clears throat> I was, I was, um, I was Indian one of the shark um, characters in, like, I think, twenty fifteen. I think it was twenty sixteen, and that's always something. As a shark, I was like, oh, you know what? I wish we even just had one, one more scene because literally the bit, the only part that we're in without the jets. Was like the start of America, and I was just—I I love West Side Story. It's like in my top five musicals, but that was—that's one thing that I would change just to give it, like the sharks a bit more. Because really, the only one who you really like—if you're a shark fan—the only one who you're behind is Bernardo, really, because you don't really know much about the others. Whereas I feel yeah. like if you if you do quite a bit like you do like with action, then Arab and uh, Baby John Diesel, if you have that on the shark side as well, I think it would make such an interesting story because then, like you could just know more about them. That that's something yeah. that I would change. I agree. Maybe that's I'm... a hypothetical in itself. What would it be like if the sharks had developed? <laughs> <laughs> if the sharks were well written. As you say, it was like 1950s, wasn't, wasn't it? When yeah. it was written in America. Way back so, when. Like, it's, it's um, so let's let's skip ahead then. So Riff's killed Bernardo. Obviously, the end scene then. So he is falsely said that Tony's dead, but obviously he isn't dead because he's alive now. So what's what's going to happen at the end? What's the conflict? What's the big twist at the end? The the Shakespearean twist. There needs to be a new twist, I guess. Mm. on the spot this is the way to do it mm. on the spot big question like that 
Uh, Tony and Maria live happily ever after. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and there's peace, there's peace in the Bronx. <laughs> I feel like I couldn't live with someone that's killed my brother. I know she does a bit like, she is a bit like that anyway. But like, mm. uh, yeah. I, I, think, I, I think Tony'd still be dead at the end. Oh, wait, hang on. Who's dead? Oh, no, wait. What, oh, no, Riff's killed. I, I think Riff's still dead at the end, sorry. Because they're, right. they're all going to go after Thingy. So I reckon, yeah. I don't know, I'm going to make him on the spot here. <laughs> See if he's like it, but maybe like they're still doing the trick at docks and they're like, they're like you know what, we're coming after the one who um who has been with Maria. So like they run through the streets, riffs run to tell, tell Tony, Chino's there with the gun ready. Boom. Big twist. Maybe. I don't know. Right, <laughs> Hypothetical. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna I think it's another one. Oh, go on. Sorry, go on, David. You go first. I was, I was just going to say. I think that uh, you know, uh, you do get a hint that Maria uh, likes Tony more than her family, kind of thing. Like she's, she's, yeah. she's always wondering why is you know why all this, uh, why all this fighting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. maybe those two run away. I think that that's probably you know their feelings. I mean, they're effectively married, right? I mean, they have that scene where they have that sort of unofficial yeah. marriage. Yeah. So they're stuck together, right? So I think that they there's nothing really tying them there, apart from Maria's family. <laughs> um, I think they run away, and uh, there's still you know brawling and everything goes on and on and on for decades. And West Side Story Jeff, too Jeff and is, the Sharks. is those two living in like Alaska. <laughs> El Camino off. style yeah <laughs> <laughs> what about I'll wrap it up with one more suggestion for this story what about mm. that the Jets wipe out all the sharks and it becomes a giant metaphor for America like basically not allowing anybody in and wanting to control the world so you've just turned them into the Republicans <laughs> essentially essentially yeah and then it segues nicely into Trump the musical, and then we can get <laughs> continuation. We're going to take New years. York. We're going to take it back. It's going to be fantastic, the best in the world. Make America <laughs> great again. <laughs> David, your your impression? I, I don't have a Trump impression. I can oh. I can never do it. I can never do it. Disappointed, uh, David. I no, would I? I? Up there nicely. I know you did. Teed up uh, everything. No. Okay. Uh, well, Swinging a miss. <laughs> We'll go to our final hypothetical of the night then. Uh, and this one uh, this one hits real because it's a show we all love dearly and it's a Sunday in the Park hypothetical. And oh. the situation is this. It revolves around Act 2. So Act 1's happened exactly as is. Happy days. No changes needed there. Act 2 starts with the famous Chromaloom scene and that obviously goes wrong in the show. But what if the Chromaloom did not break? What, what happens if the Chromaloom was a great hit, a great success? It's a hit, you could say, as another Sondheim song would also say. Well, then it wouldn't, be a ne- it wouldn't be a Nest version of the show. <laughs> it wouldn't be a Nest version of the show. <laughs> we never but got the Chrome alone to work. <laughs> tell the story, David, because I remember this so well. <clears throat> it used to work. It worked in the interval when I'd set it up every bloody time. <laughs> uh, as soon as it went on that stage, though, it just wouldn't do it. Do, do you know what it's... the funniest part of it was, though, right? Um, obviously being on stage for it when we're taking it off like I can see a column going 
when it was working and then the ball was working and then as he was like picking up and taking off all that's all I could hear Callum saying <laughs> I was working and then the ball I don't know why it's not working that so, for anybody so, who didn't see it sorry that's right, um, that's right go on that's exactly what I was going to say you go David <laughs> uh, we basically worked out a tethering thing uh, so our Chrome Loom was uh, effectively an iPhone we had George inventing the iPhone as some sort of uh, Steve Jobs kind of analogy um, and so in the middle of the stage we had an iPhone and we had uh, a, a phone off stage to uh, tethered to it, which would display certain things at certain times, uh, which Callum would be controlling. It would always work when the phones were side by side, but it would never work once the phone went out on stage. It was almost as if ten right. feet, ten feet was not yeah. it was too far a distance for the for the tethering <laughs> to work. On reflection, um, what you needed was me sat behind the big cabinet that it was sat on. <laughs> With the laptop, yeah, playing all these different <laughs> animations. David, do you Should remember I... the, the best thing about our Chromaloom was David's ingenious idea of why it was the iPhone. Do you remember what it was, David? Ooh, uh, it was the flashing lights. So yes, yeah. this is right. This is right. So the Chromaloom is referred to as having flashing lights and all the rest of it, lasers. Um, and the way that a, 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 a iPhone works or a, a, any screen works, LED screen, is as tiny little dots all calibrated to certain colors, which displayed, when you look at the full thing, it's a picture, um, which is exactly what pointillism is. So there was there was that sort of analogy as well. That's also why we went to. I'm so glad to get this off my chest two years later. <laughs> no one, <laughs> no one, no one saw it. So no one's going to hear the genius. <laughs> like, it's, it's just a nice, it's, you know, that's the only reason I chose this topic was so we can get that bit in. So everyone now knows the genius that is David Parker. <laughs> it was a genius, it was a genius idea. It was um, just a total logistical nightmare. It didn't translate on and stage a technical at all. nightmare. It's okay. Yeah. If, if it worked, though, it would have been phenomenal. Like that would have been so <laughs> good. If it worked, you would have got an award for best technical design, David. <laughs> <laughs> he sweeps across the board for his awards these days. <laughs> Which um, uh, nicely segues into what if it worked in the yeah. show itself. So what happens <clears> if it <throat> did work? What's going to happen? So George becomes a success, maybe. I Is just love. Yeah. I love the thought of George uh, singing, trying to sing, putting it together about how difficult the art world is and everybody just coming up to him trying to get his commission and trying to sort of like, he's just, will you go away? I'm trying to sort of tell the audience how difficult the art world is. And you're all here, <laughs> you're all here asking me for stuff and, you know, you're throwing your money at me. Yeah. Come, on, come on, bask in my success later. I'm singing right now. <laughs> it's my because... 11 o'clock number. <laughs> so does... Do you think George is the kind of character who would then accept the success? Would he would he say, "Okay, right, I've made it," or do you think he's a bit like old, like Act One George in the fact that he never never thinks he achieves perfection, even though he's achieved the success? If it does work, do, does he does he really care that the audience like it, or does he want it for himself? I think he's straight on with Chromaloom number eight. Number eight. <laughs> he's not he's not messing around. He's cracking on about the big books. Yeah, I right. think it depends. I yeah. think some of that I got off George Act Two. He cared, whereas George in Act One didn't really care about what other people said to an extent because he was so into his art. I feel like George Act Two cares a lot about what other people say. But like, that says a lot about society, not so it, as much as it does the show, because people care what other people think far more now than they did. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, prior to the era that we're in now. Yeah, so I feel yeah. like he, he would just want to strive. 
Probably, yeah. As Callum says, like, go straight to something else, make a bigger bit up, and he wants everybody, every single person to be like, yeah, you've smashed this. And yeah. So then, so then he has no need to go back to the island of La Grande Jatte, does he? <laughs> That's my best French accent. Because uh, he's already, he doesn't need his inspiration, he's already achieved success. So, what is, what's the moral of Act 2 then? Because the moral of Act 2 currently is like, basically be the opposite of Act 1, George, and like, don't do it for the money, you know, do art for you. It says, don't worry, um, don't worry if what you're making is new, let others make that decision. So essentially do what's right for you, not what's right for others. I mean, it, it depends, yeah. I mean, it, you could say perseverance does eventually work. Okay. Yeah, if you nice keep thing. at it, you'll eventually find the perfection that you, you've been desiring and working at for, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you have. You could say that as the moral of the story. I mean, what's the moral of the story now? Is art ever perfect? Yeah. Perfection is unattainable, I would say. Work, <clears throat> hard work, working hard beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Oof. Keeping at it, keeping at it, Chrome Illumina, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's a, he's finally got it. He's finally got his own identity outside of the uh, the shadow of Georges Seurat. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a good thing, though, if he's just churning them out for the sake of churning them out? Or do you think he still is artistically, like, uh, very skilled? Like, is he, doing, is he doing a good one every time, or is he just doing it because he can? Yeah, well, you could say, well, I mean, that comes back to the whole iPhone thing. Yeah, well... Yeah. Is there any point? Do you need to keep knocking new ones out? And it also comes back to modern modern music these days. There's a lot of like songs that are churned out for the sake. They don't really have a story or anything like to say. And it's, it's more about the money than it is about the art. Yeah, I think yeah. that's for me, that would be the message for me, is that it's now becoming more about the money than what the artist is trying to convey. And I think... That's yeah. Gonna, <clears> I mean, there is, a, there is a line where... Uh, George is saying that he wants to do something new. He doesn't want to do the chromosomes anymore. So this is something that he just wants to work in order to finance his other projects. So, yeah, so once it's successful, whatever it is, like there's no comment on whether it provides society with a function or whatever, or how much success he actually garners from the success of the chromosome. But, you know, there is the implication that if it is successful, then he will be able to fund his other you know, with that reputation and probably with the, the, the finance he, um, yeah. So maybe you've just got to do what you've got to do until you have the money and influence and the power to do what you want. You've got to, you've got to, yeah. So you've got to bring it down. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a line from Scarface, which I don't think is too appropriate. Um, <laughs> for this <laughs> for, I don't think I can say it have you heard so it episode 3 <laughs> we've passed it inappropriate it's alright yeah yeah <laughs> um, no I, th- I think I'll keep that one to myself but it's basically right. you know you, you keep um, pleasing others until you have the power and the influence to do what you have always wanted to do and stay yeah. true to yourself doing in doing so fantastic I feel like, well, you, I feel like you are paraphrasing there I feel like there's a little uh there's a few words you might have missed out on that. There, there probably are. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. Well, there's that's all for hypotheticals for this season. 
Um, I hope you've all enjoyed taking part in this, my guests, and I hope everyone at home has enjoyed listening to it. Um, so thank you, Adam, for joining us unexpectedly. And if anyone from the thank Grand Hotel is listening, we are looking for sponsorships for season two. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've done you a lot of advertising today. <laughs> yeah, for free. Um, thank you, Callum. Uh, Scarborough Zone into Dana. You're very welcome. Um, very well. And thank you, David Parker. Thank you very um, much for having me. It's been a pleasure having you all. Uh, join us next week. Uh, we're going to be doing an episode hosted by Callum called Cut the Bull, um, which is a new episode for Nest. So tune in and uh, take part in that. And until next week, good night and goodbye. Goodbye.